do you shoot raw? Most of the time it's not possible because um, 95% of my images are actually shot with an iPhone. This is episode number 17 of the Let's Talk Retouching podcast. Follow along when we talk with industry professionals about all things post-production and retouching. I'm super excited about our guest today on the show, Stefan from Raw Exchange. So stay tuned and we will get into all the little secrets. The show is brought to you by BoutiqueRetouching.com, our premium post-production studio, but also LearnPostProduction.com, a school we will at some point in the future launch. So if you are interested in following what's coming up there, head over to LearnPostProduction.com and subscribe to the newsletter and be one of the first when things are getting started over there. So we have him here. Mr. Raw Exchange. Hello, Stefan. How are you? Hey, Daniel. <laughs> so you are Mr. Raw Exchange, right? I'm one of the team, yeah. yeah. It's but you basically invented the brand of Raw Exchange. Yes. I'm, I'm also the, the one who gives the, the general direction, probably. For everyone who doesn't know who you are, can you give us a brief introduction, what you're doing, where you came from? And what's on your plate now? Yeah, so um, my name is Stefan Kohler. I'm living in the south of Germany. And a few years ago, I accidentally um, created a company that's based on, well, we are selling images, like stock image packages uh, for advertising agencies or for yeah, artists. And we try to push the limits, the quality limits pretty hard mm -hmm. we are kind of successful in this area so we sold i think about 30 million images in the last three years that's quite a few yes that's quite a few <laughs> how does someone like you come into the position to create such a company so what's your background uh, where have you come from before you decided to create a company so, so when i started photography i was like i don't know 12 or 13 years old I was very interested in photography, but that was more like, well, I've got a camera and I take pictures. So have you shot analog, I guess? Yes. I'm pretty old, so it's... <laughs> okay, you started shooting with analog cameras. Yes. And then over the years, you, you gathered, I guess, quite some experience. Well, the thing is, I, I had, obviously, I had some, some breaks in photography. So then I had like 10 years where I was on tour with, um, as a sound engineer. Mm -hmm. So this was like 10 years without photography. And then it suddenly... But you have been basically working in the creative field, right? Definitely, yes. Yeah. All my life. All my life. I tried to do other stuff, but it never lasts long. It always comes back. Um, I was also working as, as the guy who's doing all the sound engineering for films. So I did, well, I created also music at a studio in Berlin. And then you came back to photography at some point? Always, yeah, always back to photography. And um, as the digital revolution hits photography, uh, the editing hits me. And, well, I did quite a deep dive into this. 
Yeah, we can get into that a little bit later and all the post-production stuff. So just to for the people to get an idea where you where you came from. Yeah, uh, so uh, I was always, uh, photography was always kind of a part of my life, not always a really strong or important part, but it was always there. And um, then a few years ago, I was a writer. I had uh, like a column for DIY photography. Mm-hmm. And I was writing about my conceptual photography and about my tinkering and stuff. I don't know, about all, all kinds of stuff. And I was wondering why there are underwater bags for cameras, but there is no inside the fire bag for a camera. So I built one. So you're an inventor as well. I was just curious. So I was just wondering why, why, you know, when when an image is bad, if a bit image is bad, you need to get closer. Yeah, getting closer always helps. It's always good. So and that that's totally valid for 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 fire as well. So I needed to get closer. Actually, I needed to get inside the fire. So a friend of mine, he's a was a pyrotechnician. Um, he created a, a device that kind of spits like sparkles, like really a mm-hmm. lot of sparkles. And this was a burning hell. I never seen such a thing before. It's amazing. And the camera was inside and it luckily it survived. Maybe we can um, get some pictures and post them in the, in the show yeah, description. Yeah, sure. That would be amazing. <laughs> Definitely. Um, it's interesting, yeah. Um, so and and these images were on my on my NAS system here, and suddenly the hard drive was full, and so I had to do something with it. So I just gave it away. And and what do you do when you have a lot of images? You give them away, and at some point you thought like, oh, well maybe you can sell those images, right? Well, at that point I had a few followers because of my uh, writing about post production. Yeah. And I thought, well, they might be interested in in these images, so I provided a Dropbox link, and then obviously a few hours later, your Dropbox account was <laughs> determined. Well, yeah, it took about eight hours, so I put it on Google Drive, which took another four hours um, <laughs> to shut that down, and yeah, it was pretty crazy. And so because I was working at an advertisement agency that moment, and this was my main job. So I created a shop system and said, okay, you can download it from there and from my service. And there is no limitation in bandwidth so <laughs> or in traffic. Yeah, but it costs money and you have to get some revenue in. Yeah, this was this was pretty interesting. So I said, well, there are two options. Either you can have it for free. If you use it, you have to um, give credits. So it's like um, Creative Commons with name attribution, I think. Um, or you pay like, I don't know, five bucks or something. That was basically the, the start of the company. Because I said, well, that was, that was fun, you know, like creating something that's really creative and crazy and 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 making a little bit of money mm-hmm. so you can actually spend it on the next stupid project this is amazing yeah it is making money with creativity is the best no matter which field it is if you're a musician 
being on stage is the best thing in the world. When people are just looking, you don't even care about the money. Yeah, that's 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 true. So, and that's you know, we started with fire, and then we bought some milk and a little, uh, little like a kids' pool, and made pictures of throwing milk. That was also pretty crazy. And after that, we and messy, I guess. <laughs> it was that. Well, my studio is luckily it's an industrial place, so. I don't have to care about um, about messing around. I'm so lucky. So yeah, so you started a company by doing project-based stock packages, basically. So you decided to create a milk package for people to use images in their compositing work, basically. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And we do, obviously we, we try to, to find perfection in this. So... Mm. Yeah, and creating the best source images possible for people and not just low quality image of the subject. You were trying to push the boundaries of quality. So I know you've yep. been shooting stuff with medium format to get high resolution, high quality images for people to use them. Well, as we as we started, you know, I I know what the people want in the professional world mm -hmm. because I'm I have the background in the in the advertisement agency. Yeah. So um, I know what um, the guy is always looking for. And so with that background, I was also thinking about how can I provide the, the perfect uh, the perfect product. Mm -hmm. And one of these things is I needed to to have always the same quality and have packages that fit together. Yeah. So if you buy the fire package, you can use the fire, you can use the sparkles and, and stuff, and you will not have a problem with white balance or with stuff. So it's basically mm -hmm. the same shooting, you know? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to have consistency throughout your package yeah. and have the images prepared for further use already. But what I'm curious, so um, in terms of post-production, I usually ask the question what retouching means to you what would you define as retouching let's talk about what you consider retouching and maybe also talk about how you got into using photoshop and i think what's important to to mention is that i i'm i'm not a composite guy i'm not really an artist in uh in the photoshop world obviously i know some stuff But there are many, many people out there who are like a million times better. What I really like is, well, retouching people, mainly portrait, a little bit of beauty, a little mm -hmm. bit of fashion. But I think my main, main, main interest is portrait. Uh, what was your first contact point to Photoshop? So you've been working in advertising agencies before and you started taking images in the analog time. So let's go back to when digital came around. So was that the time when you first started using applications to process your images or how did you discover post-production? It's so long ago. I know that the first version was Photoshop 7. Uh-huh. So then, yeah, that's quite some years ago. About 15 years. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's a while. Um, I, I googled this uh, a while ago because I recently found a file that 
that was from my old, old, old computer archive. But I won't show it because it's really... <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all been there. We've all created super crappy post-production. Um, it was a little bit strange. Um, but it said um, it's created with Photoshop 7. So, um, I so it's Googled. basically like using um, paint in the old days. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more yeah. advanced. I don't know, but this was just the, the first contact that I, I was yeah. more interested in, in, in web design in that moment. Uh -huh. So, Yeah, a lot of people don't know. Down the line, I, I went to study web design as well. And while I took that course, I obviously had to use Photoshop again and actually started learning about using Photoshop. Then I discovered that I actually like using Photoshop much more than messing with HTML and CSS code. <laughs> um, then I decided to quit studying web design at some point and said, okay, I'm going to focus on learning more about Photoshop. So th that's my past, how I got into using Photoshop. I think the, um, the moment when I really started using Photoshop and learning it seriously um, was when CS3 came out. Mm -hmm. And since then, I'm in the Photoshop world somehow. But you also have released some tutorials about retouching, obviously. So from using CS3 to releasing tutorials. So what happened in between there? Oh, well, I, <laughs> I, did my, I used the time to practice and to learn stuff and find out about how, how much I suck, actually. Well, that's part, <laughs> that's part of the learning. So let's uh, definitely, experience definitely, that together now. So for everyone out there, let's go through the phases of learning about retouching. And yeah, let, let us know how that was and how is it to actually discover new things and then discover that you still suck and to go through that process. So how was that for you? Um, Actually, I had... Uh, quite a few releases from pictures before I learned about how much I suck at Photoshop mm -hmm. or at retouching. And um, that was a little bit crazy. And that's something that makes me still suspicious. So I actually, I think I know a lot of stuff, but I don't trust my knowledge. Yeah, I know what you mean. So there's always something you don't know and you cannot know what you exactly. don't know. Exactly. But I'm in the lucky position that I have two very good mentors. And so I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning pretty fast. I, I guess there is I, I, there, there are not many questions that are open in my mind. <laughs> How did you even make a decision to, okay, I want to learn this? I want to learn how to retouch portraits and beauty. That wasn't a, that wasn't a decision. It was some some at some moment, um, an image popped up somewhere on social media, and I thought, well, that that is fucking good. That's what I thought at that moment. Um, I, I was really impressed, and so I talked to my to my makeup artist. What are they doing differently than than, than we do? Why does it look so so awesome? And she said, oh, I have no idea. I have really no idea. So, um, <clears throat> so, so it's, it's not, not mainly the makeup. It's just, it's perfect makeup and it's perfect retouching and perfect uh, lighting. Or it's actually, the lighting came before retouching. Those at some point I found uh, some tutorials or PDF or something. I don't know. 
and change my workflow. So it actually, it wasn't hard to find out that I suck. It was more like I was super excited to learn something new. And that was a, a, yeah. a, it was awesome to find this, this new world of retouching. And I think I just did only reading comments and stuff in, in high-end retouching groups for mm. about three months and asked questions and yeah. uh, and then you reach out to me <laughs> at some point but i but i i have been at the same place so i at some point you learn about photoshop and then you discover this whole new world of <laughs> detailed intense beauty retouching which is i mean the techniques are not that different but it's a completely different approach on how you approach an image and how you are working with the same techniques that's so stunning when you i remember looking at images as well I'm like oh gosh they look so great and i want to be able to do the same then you get into this the thing you really really want that and you want to learn and you want to know how that is you think this magic thing that you can do with photoshop that nobody else can do and you want to learn that well the fun begins and obviously at some point you you, you notice it's like a lot of practice a lot of it's, yeah if you found of, the formula yeah. for magic and you see there is no magic that's just yeah the magic button i still want to build the magic button but so far it's not possible what does the magic button do the magic button provides you with time and with patience for practice that's it yeah My idea magic button is that I can envision how I want an image to look like after retouching and I just press the button and it takes one second and it's done. It also takes away the fun of retouching because I think retouching can be fun. I, for me, it's it's the best thing I can do is like meditation. You know, it's like a... Yeah, uh, I, I think the same. Like especially dodging and burning, it's like I can just switch off the world and do my dodging and burning. <laughs> yeah. That's a great feeling. Yeah, yeah some, some, sometimes when I, when I have, you know, sometimes you are faster than you thought. So if I have like a time frame of three hours and I finished early, then sometimes I just create a dodge and burn layers and, and I just keep dodging and burning. And I know I will throw it away because it's way over the top, but it's just, mm -hmm. just, it's already done. I just keep going because it's fun. <laughs> so just to sum things up. So you started photography in the analog age, then you went on tour, discovered photography again, when things went digital, have been doing advertising work in an agency, obviously used Photoshop, obviously used coding and what's so on. And then out of your own motivation you started learning about retouching and now you've built a business that provides raw files and also education around how you can use files for retouching the files you provide and how people can learn retouching right yeah kind of yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good but when you are retouching you have to start somewhere and usually we start here with talking about what is on your desk that allows you to get your work done so let's go over that <laughs> Okay, it might be a bit, a bit different here because... That's fine. What does your ideal workstation... I know you have different spaces, so you have a space where you do your video recordings, uh, but how does your, your main workstation look like? Um, also, my, my main work space here is, is uh, changing a lot because I'm, I'm working on Mac and Windows, 
because my my customers mm-hmm. are have problems on both um, platforms so i need to provide answers yeah especially when you're creating tutorials it makes a lot of sense to show how it looks on mac and how it looks on windows yeah yeah um so i have no yeah. preference here I worked 15 years on on Windows computers and then 15 years on Mac computers only. And since two years now, I'm working on both platforms, which is pretty interesting. (laughs) But I have really have no preference here. So I'm also working on with Wacom products a lot. Which do you have and which, which is your favorite? I have a bunch of them and all are my favorites, really. Uh, this is not because I'm affiliated somehow with with Wacom. Um, I, the love for their products was before I was affiliated. So um, I've got an old Intuos 4, I think, or 3. I don't know, actually. And it's still working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is working on. I, I never had something that's broken on Wacom products. Never. So I have um, like a medium one, I think. And then I was in a, mm-hmm. um, I was hosting a, a workshop with Natalia Taferra. So she was using my computer, but I wanted to um, work with her along. And so I bought the cheapest Wacom that I could buy in in the electric electronic store. So I have something like uh, ah, let me look what Even this blue? is maybe. No, 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 no. It's an Intuos pen and touch small. Oh, okay. Then it's the newer version. Yeah. It's, it's a silver one. It was. I think it was the first. So it's the Mac version. It's. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm using this on a Windows computer. It works. Yeah, well, it's makes awesome. a match. <laughs> as long as it works. <laughs> some, some people um, install Windows on their Mac computer, so why not using a Mac branded yeah, work that's controller? That's true. That was actually the reason why I bought my first Mac to run bootcamp and Windows. <laughs> yeah, makes a lot of sense. So and 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 I've got a I've got a big Cintiq, uh, twenty seven uh-huh. inch. So that is the big workstation thing where you can get the stand for and exactly. I've got I've got the stand as well, and I recommend to have the stand as well because this that makes a lot of sense because it's pretty 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 big. It's not something you just can rest on your lap and <laughs> keep working. Well, I guess you can, but I think it's not fun. <laughs> no, and not ergonomical. So last year I moved with my apartment and with my family. So we used that opportunity to change a little bit about how I work, actually. So we moved to a house, which is bigger, and I've got my, my workplace now here instead of the studio so um, we built a video studio here to create the tutorials Mm -hmm. and so it's pretty awesome because i can be near the family and i mean i have two two little kids and when they uh, are asleep then i have like four hours to kill until i fall asleep instead of doing nothing or watch tv or something i can i don't know record small retouching tips so you are doing that from home so you have your studio basically your recording studio in your house yes since last year it's pretty awesome because i'm always here and um i have a freelancer here eddie 
who is doing the um, uh, video editing. So whenever I record the bigger tutorials with more than one camera, he is also here to um, review the recording process. So I'm okay with recording a camera and and a screen. So um, I'm using like like external recorders for this, and this is working pretty pretty awesome. And um, but as soon as there is a, a second camera, it's getting complex. Yeah. So that's basically what makes me change my work setup here quite a bit, because when I do client work. I obviously work with the ISO if it's color critical work. When I work for video tutorials, I try to work as much as possible on the Wacom because it just looks better. Well, it's too is there. They are to <laughs> do your service, not just to look good. That's why you have your Macintosh no, no, version it's, of it's, the Wacom. <laughs> that, that is there. Just look good. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's just it's really um, you know when when you look at a at a video tutorial and there is this clumsy screen in front of this guy who is doing stuff and I think the the Wacom is an awesome sexy device yeah. to put on a screen and you can just work on it and it's it's yeah it is. that was the reason why I switched to the Wacom because I wanted to have the tablet and the screen in one thing. And when I started working on a Cintiq, it was like a very, very different because I'm usually working only on a, on a very small area on the tablet mm -hmm. too. Yeah, it's different. I also had to adjust for uh, working on the Cintiq. So I have the small Cintiq still, but it, yeah. it's much different than um, having a tablet on the side yeah. so when you're working on it. But I have to say, a friend of mine just recently got herself a mobile studio, yeah. uh, which is also like a super cool device. And I'm kind of jealous because I don't have one just yet. Maybe I will have one at some point. Because that, that one is like so cool because you can basically use it like a laptop on the go and edit your stuff and then you come home and plug it in, connect your monitor and keep working on, on your workstation setup. I'm looking forward to the new Wacom Cintiq. There is a, I know there is a 4K version coming up. Ooh, nice. Can we say that already? Um, I think so. I think it's announced, but I think it's not available right now. So, but uh, uh, what I know about it, it's awesome. They changed a lot of stuff and I think this is going to be nice. Yeah. A really, really nice device. Nice. Looking forward to it. The 27 is awesome. It's really, really amazing. What else are you using? So you have Macintosh and Windows computers. Uh, you have the Wacom 27-inch, you have the Intuos line, tablets. What else are you using to retouch? Is there anything else? Um, actually, no. I've got, um, well, I've, I'm a little bit obsessed with colors, so I have a controlled environment in terms of colors. Mm -hmm. So I'm working in um, um, art, artificial um high CRI LED light with a stable um color temperature. Yeah. That is the basis for um, for all the calibration. But 
So it's just a personal thing. I don't think that's really important for for everyone. I mean, you can do awesome color work even if you are in a like a red and green painted room. You just have to be aware of what you're doing. I mean, I always tell people that your brain is learning your environment. I mean, you're always in the same environment and you always use the same setup and your same monitor. You learn how that looks and what you have to do. So also in terms of calibrating a monitor, some people say you have to use a certain white point and I I adjusted white point to my environment. So it's closer to the light I have around because that is not necessarily always super stable. Or let's say it is stable, but it's not 165K. So I adjusted for that. But nevertheless, if you are in the same environment, your eyes obviously adjust for the white balance of your monitor after a while. And you can work on that and can make it look so it looks good for everyone else who is, might be using a different white point on their monitor. So that's not a criterion why you are doing color calibrations because that's yeah. just one part of a chain of color managed workflows. So if you do ha don't have a color managed workflow and just working on one device, it doesn't really matter because your your brain is learning how your device is supposed to look basically. I absolutely agree. Um, so, um, obviously everything here in, in my editing room is black and white. There is actually not a lot of color. Yeah. But as I said, I mean, it's, um, more important to be aware of what you're doing than, um, having the, um, like, a absolutely fantastic environment so um, i think i can do yeah it's the same with technology so if yeah. you have the best equipment the best cameras uh, it doesn't mean if you don't know what you're doing yeah that you get good results yeah it's true obviously so i guess i can even do on a crappy monitor i can do quite solid color work because i i'm aware of what i'm doing and and i know my my help layers and i know how to enter how to how to read numbers and stuff so i guess that's something i wanted to tell uh, my clients as well or my my students or however you call them <laughs> i mean there's a lot of philosophy and a lot of philosophy is is good and is important but there are also parts that are playing just a, a minor role in the whole game of retouching so they are i try mm -hmm. to find uh, um the, the the real world examples of retouching and not um yeah something that's like over the top to make it more sound more complicated or stuff yeah makes a lot of sense um so let's talk. Uh, let's talk about my, my desk, regret. But what what else is on my desk? Well, obviously, yeah. a little bit of equipment for recording. I'm not sure how important that is to talk about. It's interesting because I think everyone like loves gear. Well, actually, um, it's it's a it's, it's a um, pretty simple system actually. So I'm using um, different sources of video. So um, obviously, I've got a, a graphic card with two outputs one for the screen or the Cintiq and one for the recorder. I've got um, a bunch of 
Panasonic TH4 for video recording. I would love to have the GH3, but these are not, I couldn't buy them at the moment, so I had to use the GH4. Um, um, also, they have a clean HDMI output and they go also to the recorders. Yes, and they record 42 externally. Yeah, with the Atomos Ninja Blade recorders. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm recording in ProRes LT, so it's actually the smallest, the smallest file size, and we did a lot of tests, and we couldn't find any difference. So, um, and we are we are compressing that stuff pretty heavily for for internet um, distribution. So it doesn't matter, anyways. It makes the editing really really good to have like hard drives and yeah i mean for for video editing codecs are really important yeah. so it really depends on if you are working on a mac or if you are working on a windows computer there are different codecs that are more or less hardware intense so um we are we're recording all at the same bit rate all at the same um on on the same recorder so i've got uh four of these um atomos recorders and they're all the same. And uh, so I can record up to three cameras and one source or two sources and two cameras. So I've got like four sources. It's pretty, pretty, pretty nice, pretty neat setup, actually. Yeah, four cameras for capturing post-production videos is quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> I've got three cameras. And basically the screen that you're capturing. <laughs> yep. And uh, these are, um, there is... Uh, second line of HDMI then from the recorder to um, um, to a, what is it um, Blackmagic television broadcasting system I don't know um, so we can have uh, like a split screen with all the uh, informations on it so like um audio levels and um, have a control for sharpness and or focus and um, have a real-time control over all the sources on external monitor which is a 4k monitor so it's pretty pretty much the um, the whole resolution of the of the footage we're recording and so we can also do switching from the cameras and then we use wirecast so we can actually stream that whole stuff to different sources in the internet <clears throat> or different destinations so we can actually have a multi-camera setup uh, for streaming online to facebook youtube twitch you name it that's pretty neat. Yeah, and you're streaming streaming to so on let's mention your Facebook. So Facebook is you obviously raw exchange. Uh on Twitch it's also raw exchange. I don't know if we yeah, we are on Twitch, yeah, but we are not using Twitch actually. Okay, so where are you streaming? If if people want to follow what what, what you Well, doing? I think the um, there are different different parts. So in in Germany we are streaming to Facebook mainly in international for international market we're streaming to to youtube more 
So, but I think we can we can provide all the um, all the links then. Of course, we will put them in the show description as well. You know that we are selling digital files, and digital files are pretty hard to sell from the uh, European Onion. Uh, so it's um, it's pretty hard to sell them from here. So um, that's the reason why we well my. Uh, partner is in Tel Aviv. So we are actually, um, for one of us, it's always an offshore company. So that's the reason why we created a company and we were pretty, pretty free to actually find another business partner. Um, so we um, built that company in Singapore and we have Mesame. He is working for phase one there and He's a really good photographer and also a pretty good artist in like cosplay stuff and it's pretty, pretty amazing. And he is um, the director of that company. So um, it's like split in, in two companies. So we have the German company. Yeah, so you went international, right? For right. the international company, we had to change so many th things and we have like um, different channels for everything because it's so different. Yeah, also the the stuff in the people who are working for international companies are way more people now. The small crew is in Germany, is doing all the, the technical stuff. And we are actually creating like 90% of the content that we are actually selling. But for the international stuff, it's like 99% of the content that is used for marketing and stuff is not produced in, in Germany. So it's a very, very different. The channels we are using are very different. The wording is different and just a different company. So let's just quickly go over your hardware again. So you have been using your Wacom tablets all the way through from the 27-inch in tours, um, you're looking forward to the 4K Cintiq lines. And now let's go over what happens on your computer. <laughs> so when you have images and you are actually retouching and doing post-production work, so how does that start? Well, um, obviously raw conversion is pretty much done in uh, Capture One. I'm using the subscription model of uh, Capture One and um, I would never use uh, Adobe RAW conversion <laughs> as much as I love Adobe products. <laughs> That's a big claim, so can we explain why? Um, well, uh, there, is, there is one thing and that's actually just better, looking better on on uh, Capture One and it's just skin tones. How the, the first rendering of of a raw file is always, I mean, for what I've seen, I'm working with a lot of different cameras. And when I do retouching for clients, I'm working with a lot of different cameras and especially the medium format stuff. It looks so much better on Capture One than on, yeah, like Adobe Camera Raw. I mean, obviously, just for someone who is trying to process medium format files with Adobe, you can do that, but you should use the dedicated raw processor. So for phase one files, I would assume 
you best use Capture One and for Hasselblad files, you best use the Hasselblad Focus software to get the best yes. results yes. out of your RAW files. For other cameras, I cannot say that the raw processors that the companies are providing are better than what Adobe has to offer. So uh, if you're using Canon, Nikon, uh, Fuji, depends on, yeah, I, I definitely know, I'm not sure about Nikon, but I have a Canon and Canon also has a raw processor and Adobe definitely is would be a better choice if you have Photoshop. Let's put it the other way around. I've never seen Capture One messing up a file. Never. And I've seen this with every other raw converter. I've, I've tested a bunch of them. So, and at some point, every raw conversion software is messing up the files. And Capture One, I've, I've never seen Capture One messing up something. So your files go usually into Capture One. Are you usually doing a lot of adjustments in the raw processor or do you keep it just more or less basic to get a, a good base and to adjust for uh, differences within a series? Um, when I do a series, yes, I try to um, match especially the, the skin tones because I think the skin tones are the part that's the most, that's what we see the most in, in real life. So we are used to skin tones and it's very important to have them consistent and natural. So that's something I do in in the raw processing. So I care about skin tones a lot. Especially for beauty, obviously. What's not so important is like background and stuff, because I think um, if, if I or, or like nails or clothings or whatever. Yeah, especially when they have simple patterns and simple colors or what I know from fashion, uh, they sometimes have a slight slightly different exposure on the background so i also focus on the subject first and matching them because it's much easier to just adjust brightness of the background yeah. and adjust the color of just the background than doing it on your subject yeah i mean you're you're, you're focused on this yeah. which is a good point you have to focus on that stuff while processing your raw files already and not to the later point in photoshop so you have to think ahead of what is best to match within a series and what is easier to do on a later yeah. point within your workflow going on. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with skin tones. So I do this obviously yeah. as good as possible. And um, in, in later in, in Photoshop later, I do all the other color work. So I'm not one of these guys who are doing all doing masking and stuff in in Capture One, because I think it's hard to create masks, way harder than than masking in Photoshop is. Yeah. Yeah. But what can happen if I have, I had a, a series of images lately where um, they, they were super color obsessed with, with the closings and the accessories. And they wanted also wanted natural skin tones, so I was a little bit in a had, a had some problems. So I did like matching for different parts, and then I did a multiple uh, raw conversion. 
Mm -hmm. And then you blended the different parts together later in Photoshop. I tried it with a um, um, color editor in Capture One first, but after two images, I found that it's way easier to just process the complete line of images. It depends on, obviously on the image yeah. and the bit depth and everything. Uh, but sometimes with adjusting colors, you can make the range so narrow and the adjustment so big that you get tonal distortions and they do not blend well into the color transitions next to them so then i think it's really the best way to to go and making different variants and exporting them out and then blend them together in photoshop where you have a little bit more control over that yeah probably so when when you're taking your images out of capture one so let's switch over to photoshop because we already know You are using Photoshop to do your retouching then. Yeah, I tried other software as well, but... But you're always <laughs> coming back yeah. to, to Photoshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the industry leader and it's... it's yeah, it is. Um, I really love the brush. I just love the brush. It's mm. amazing. It's so responsive and that's what... Actually, the brush is the thing where you find out if a, if a software is... Um, good or not because all the other stuff is easy i think with selections i could basically deal with considering the amount of dodging and burning i do if one or two things change in the rush uh that would make me learn to from the beginning how it behaves so i heavily rely on how it is currently working and if that w was to change then I would just go nuts. <laughs> I have to say that. It's, I wouldn't be able to work. I wouldn't be able to finish images in a certain amount that still makes me money. Yeah. So if the brush were to change, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it would be hard. So how does the standard workflow look like in, in Photoshop for you? Oh, this is pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah, that's, that's good. Let's talk about it because I think discussing workflow is important and it's not necessarily the best thing to overcomplicate things especially for people no. who are new and are learning so then it's easy to overcomplicate it just makes everything harder the, the more you can reduce things down the better you also understand what's going on so my my standard is um i'm exporting in adobe rgb and uh 16 bit in real resolution obviously mm -hmm. are you using photoshop psd files or tiff files yeah uh, psd files okay directly exporting psd files from capture one and then i uh, usually i just have a look at the file for a few minutes and i'm thinking about what i'm going to do with it so what sticks out the most and so you make make a plan in advance what you're about to do yeah usually i'm paint on the image so i'm just really take a few minutes to make like notes so i have a uh, usually the, like a green a yellow and a red pen so i use the green to make all the stuff that sticks out at 25 zoom or 20 zoom and it's a little bit smaller than the the area i'm looking at so i'm looking yeah. at the whole image just um, the rough parts and then i zoom in and make some yellow notes and then i zoom further in and make some red notes so just to have an idea, yeah, I usually don't look at these layers anymore. I have it addressed in my head, you know, 
just to make it there is a hair sticking out and I take I have to I have to take care about this or there is like a sensor dust spot on the background. I have to take care about this and there is like um, uh, the dress is not right. So I have to take care about this. So I'm just, you know, I'm just addressing the the problems, the issues, and it's just to have it. <laughs> yeah, it's like writing a diary or writing notes. It's 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 a good idea to write it down or on the image to make your notes just so it is more present in your head. And then, then you go on to uh, retouching the image. So how do you start? Uh, usually I start with um, background uh, cleaning process for sensor dust and stuff with the solar curve activated. And then I go to healing. And then from healing, I go to dodging and burning. Well, healing, I mean, I take care about structure problems. Then dodging burning, I take care about luminosity problems. And then in the end, I do the color work. I try to do the color work before the healing, which is pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. Um, and I have to say, I love it, but I can't... I can't put it in my head now or I can't change my workflow. So it feels it, it feels unnatural for me. So I can't do it. Yeah. So when you, when you say did the color work before your healing and cloning, does it mean time-wise doing it before you go to the healing and cloning or does it mean underneath the healing and cloning? Oh, it definitely is always on top of the healing because otherwise it would be... Okay. Just, just to get that straight for the listeners because we, it's different things. The, the color work should always be on top of your layer stack because um, otherwise you would, you would um, mess up your... Well, if you do healing and you put the healing... Yeah, you won't be able to change it. Yeah, exactly. So, after the fact. In uh, time-wise, the, the um, doing the color work before the healing and dodging burning is very interesting, um, especially the, the color grading or something like a color grading, like a where you have like 90% of your color grading done before you start healing and dodging burning. I mm -hmm. think it's very interesting because color is so powerful. And yes. if you have like a, like a toned image, you won't go as far with the dodging burning and with the healing and so it in the end it saves you time what i say and what i do often is it depends on your situation so i work for clients and giving them so to speak an unfinished image doesn't make sense so i often do a color grading and spend a lot of work just to get the image right in terms of contrast and color and then send it over without having done any retouching sometimes. Sometimes I do one image that is also cleaned up and has some dodging and burning done. But sometimes I send it over without dodging and burning and without cleanup just so they can have an idea how the final image may look like in terms of the overall look because contrast and color has a bigger effect than the other parts of retouching, even though you spend a lot of time in cleaning up the image and doing your dodging and burning. So I usually spend a lot of time in advance to do that because they might want different variants, which I then have to provide. And I also have to make sure that I can 
set it up in Photoshop so it translates to the other images as well. I'm trying to reverse the process to just to save time. Everyone has to figure out how they perform the best with their clients. Yeah. So so uh, so you usually do your color work and one. So let's go over the workflow quickly again. So you start with healing, cloning, then you're doing your dodging and burning, then you're doing your color work, yep. your color corrections, and then you, you do your global color on top of that. Uh, yes, color corrections, then color grading, yeah. Right, yes. So the local color mm -hmm. corrections yep. and then the global color corrections yes. or color grading. <clears throat> okay, so, and then you export it out. I assume sRGB files for web, and print files usually stay in Adobe RGB. I guess that's the standard. Uh, yes. Okay, so that's what you do. Do you have any backup solution from there? Or how do you do you transmit images? What's your preference there? So let's go over, over backup first. So if you've finished everything, how how is everything set up in terms of backup? Well, I'm I'm working on a on a hard drive in the computer that's content continuously synced with my NAS system here. And I assume you have a big network storage because of your videos you also produce. Um, actually, it's not that big. It's like, I don't know, maybe 30 terabytes or something like that. Yeah, um, that's a quite, that's a bit. I mean, it's not like 500 terabytes, but <laughs> um, it's, for most people that is also already considered quite some space. Well, That's that's a, a a tricky thing. So I obviously keep raw files from shootings where other people are involved. I'm yeah. not keeping raw files from from files that are made for the store, like the the texture stuff. And so I don't have the raw files from the milk shooting because okay. they are I I don't need them anymore. They are processed and mm. they are done and. They are online, and as soon as a file is online, there are multiple um, copies online. They are completely through the complete quality control from us, so they are okay. Yeah, you obviously don't want to change them because it doesn't make sense to give one version of a file to one person and one version of a file to another person. Um, exactly, and it's uh, sometimes it's a little bit tricky. We are... Um, providing upgrades for some packages. So, for example, we um, did a premium line, so we had some textures with the medium format, 100 megapixel camera, which was awesome. And so this was um, like an upgrade for the package, but it's confusing for the customers. So we try to avoid this. And if we change one file, it would be pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> So usually we just do to just delete the uh, delete the raw files and if someone finds um, a file that's bad then we probably give a refund or a coupon for whatever I don't know the the chance that files are corrupt are like zero point zero zero one percent or something like that so it's really we have a pretty pretty strict quality control here. So every yeah. file is at least checked three times before it's um, after it's uploaded. So the file yeah. that we are sending out to the people are definitely controlled three times from three different people. 
Um, so I don't keep these files. And the same for videos. As soon as a video is um, uh, ready, we are um, uh, creating we are creating two versions. And one version is a lower quality or is actually a pretty low quality for what we're sending out. And then we have a, a higher quality on the server. But it's only like, I don't know five or ten times bigger than what we are sending out to the people. So just in case, you know. I mean, over over time, maybe bandwidth and stuff might change and you still might provide the files, but yeah. with current bandwidth, it's just, it it's not cost effective to host huge files. That doesn't make sense. So uh, we're still at like, 1080p usually the, the thing is to, to give you a few numbers the stuff we have on our servers is like 850 gigabyte of stuff yeah and that's a lot from our main server we have right now we have four servers that are doing the distribution of the files and our main server is um, at in the last three years I think 0.6 petabyte of data delivered <clears throat> so it's a, a huge amount of traffic and i don't want to send out bigger files <laughs> uh, yeah i mean at some point it's like i mean storage is expensive and traffic i mean with that amount of files and this file size it adds up so much yeah. and obviously you have to get the money back in yeah it's pretty hefty yeah. we have we have uh, pretty hefty running costs definitely but i think it's part of the quality concept so i don't want to um make my customers wait for the files so they should have yeah. proper bandwidth and yeah we all want instant right when we, when we buy something so but they also want the best quality they can get yeah sure um, and they want it and cheap it's, sometimes it's a little bit of a trade-off so can get everything for free and obviously you are investing a lot of time in researching and learning and making good content for the people to watch so yeah there goes quite some effort in i know how it is to create content yeah so yeah it's also that, that doesn't come cheap that definitely doesn't come cheap. it's also seven or eight people um crew so after we now have discussed your your workflow and everything so i want to ask you are there places where you draw inspiration from still? Because we, we talked about to keep learning continuously. So where do you go for finding inspiration? Be it for the creative input you're looking for, for the retouching work you're doing, or in terms of, of business where, yeah, how do you find inspiration for that? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. So I think inspiration is... Um, pretty easy because I mean we have all these image based services like Instagram and Pinterest and whatever it doesn't take long to see awesome stuff I mean obviously you see a lot of crap as well and I try to avoid crap so I'm actually pretty fast in putting stuff out of my timeline or timelines the same goes for Facebook and groups and stuff. So I try to avoid the stuff that is distracting for me. But I think if you are looking for, for inspiration and social media is full of crazy people and this is amazing. I mean crazy people in terms of 
I mean, I don't believe in the concept of talent, but what people usually say as crazy talented. I mean, people with crazy skills, let's say, like this. And this is inspirational. Yeah, I mean, they all have to be acquired, right? It's not, it's trained, yeah. it's practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't come yeah. from whatever place in the universe. So it doesn't rain down yeah. on you, talent. Yeah. So, so that's an inspiration. Um, Okay, so, in, but in terms of, of, of business, I know your business has changed quite a bit. So where do you go to draw inspiration in terms of how you run your business? Because I, I assume it's not just what you learn by going through the process of running your business, but you're probably also searching for resources. So what, what's best practice or where do you draw inspiration for that? Um, yeah, I I know a few guys who are doing marketing on on social media or online marketing, and these are old friends of mine. So there, I have a lot of in, input there, and also I got a little bit of background information from my time in the in the agency. I guess this is a pretty good basis for business stuff and also i'm doing a lot of reverse engineering of um ads and yeah i try to find out how things work and um i try to keep track of like every th single bit that i leave somewhere <laughs> um so um also, there is a lot of negative inspiration in terms of business. So sometimes I just invest a little bit of money to see what crap is sold business-wise. There is a lot of crap, actually. Okay, so a lot of experience is, is uh, by going through the process by yourself and making mistakes and the others um, having basically mentors that help you out. I have no business mentors because I'm already using so many uh, ways to advertise that it's hard to to find a mentor who's um, able to see the whole um, the whole business concept here or the the construct. There's nobody knowing your business as good as you, right? A lot of stuff comes from uh, organic reach or from organic growth and that's really hard to to catch because you know when i buy an ad and i have a result in the end in a in a specific time frame so this is like i can say this is the ad and this is what what it brings to the business it's way harder when you have organic traffic And the first 18 months of raw exchange were pure organic traffic. And so it's like 30% of the data is just missing and is just a black hole. The growing was so fast that we actually have to deal with so many data now that we are unable to sort all that stuff out. It's like, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy amounts of data. So that's the problem to, to show someone um, 
how the, the company works because it's hard to understand for us. Let's talk a little bit about working from home. How was that decision in terms of work and life balance? So it probably was a conscious decision to have a studio at home. What are your reasons for, for doing that? Well, the, the first reason was I'm, uh, I was renting two places. I was my, um, I have had my apartment and I had my studio and two places are, well, you have the whole infrastructure twice. So it's a lot of money actually. And, um, because my kids are slowly growing up and well, they need some place to run around. We were constantly looking for something with a garden. And then by accident, we did get a, a mail with that announcement of the house where we are living now. Um, it turned out to be uh, just amazing and, and not that expensive. So um, I actually still have the studio. Well, the house is bigger, so I have a lot of space for the, for the video studio. It's too small for a photography studio. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit bad. But... Well, I enjoy uh, the the fact that I don't have my my business time so so fixed. Yeah, especially when a family is around, right? It's pretty good when I have like a production. Then Eddie is here, so um, it's like as soon as the red BMW is in front of the door, and mm -hmm. uh, that is well, then it's business time, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty good. If I want a coffee break or something, then I go out and see the ones I love. It's awesome. For me, it's I take a coffee break, but I call it a cat break because I also take care of uh, having a look what the cat is doing. So, so yeah, you, you decided work-life balance is important in terms of having family around and also considered keeping your business overhead relatively low. Well, I have my core business times. This is where I get things done. Um, then I have additional business times. Which are flexible. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And then I have like um, alert business times. So this is the, um, the stuff. And um, alert means, for example, um, um, one of the shops isn't working. Mm -hmm. So I have to take care about this. Or I have uh, something like a, like a customer who's really upset because of... He's not, un he's understanding something. Which never happens. No, it does, it does happen. Definitely, it does happen. I mean, with that amount of customers, it definitely happens. Sometimes it's a little bit tough to have high quality files, have a good, understandable user interface. Everything has to be easy, you know. As easy as the way, the more security lags you have. That's kind of a problem. So uh, we try to find a balance here. And some people have problems with computers. They struggle, but they are customers. So they are happy with our files or our um, educational programs. And um, they want to buy, they want to download, but they are not able because they just suck at computer science. And, <laughs> and sometimes it's just a bad connection for them and they try again and it fails and they try again and it fails. And it might not be their fault even. So, yeah, but you still yeah, have to take yeah. care of those customers, right? Yeah, yeah, usually I'm the, the one who is responding. Um, if I see a, a red alert in my 
mobile phone, then I answer this immediately. That's like the, the red business times where I, where it doesn't matter where I am, then the family has to wait. Um, on the other hand, if the family needs, needs me, then I just leave the work. So, I mean, we have already talked about so many things, about uh, your computer setup, about the software, about your workflow, about life, you know, about family. I've got yeah. one about my computer. I'm working on a computer from 2013. Yeah. And it's overclocked. <laughs> Just say it. <laughs> so we've talked about so many things already. What are the projects you are currently working on? What is coming up next for Raw Exchange? Um, we are working on a really big um, retouching series for um, in, in, in English uh, language. Mm -hmm. And we are working on um, a really big marketing video for in German language. <clears throat> so are they coming out soon or does it take some more month for them to come out? Uh, definitely this year, okay. both this year. So yeah, people should look out for, they probably can subscribe. Yeah, we have newsletters and stuff and pages and these are the big products. So they will be everywhere and um, we will use nice. all the channels to promote them. Then we are pretty excited about the new retouching mm -hmm. toolkit from Connie Wallstrom. Um, we are the um, exclusive distribution for this and um, I'm super excited for this. When is it about to come out? In three weeks. Three weeks. So the podcast is probably coming out after the release and by the time this is out can go online and get this on raw exchange awesome we will put a, a link in this by the way show descriptions are boutiqueretouching.com forward slash podcast and then you find the latest episodes so just for listeners and also to end the episode uh, what is your number one killer tip for people who are new in the industry what should they focus on i think my killer tip for people who are new in the industry is to always ask why the question about the why is super important and that's probably the the question that made me understand a lot of things mm -hmm. because you know we are all like content creators and yes. Um, tenth of thousand people are content creators as well and everyone is bidding out content and useful killer tips and only a few of these guys can answer this why so whenever someone comes to you and say this is how you sharpen your image in LAB mode you ask him why why, why should I do this what does it do for me And how does it help me? So the question why is like they show if the people understand what they're telling or if they just repeat something that they heard from someone else. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So people always ask why you have to do something or why you should do something and get a good explanation for that. That's an awesome tip from Mr. Raw Exchange. I also have to thank you for taking the time off of your business and running Raw Exchange just so you can sit down and talk to us for the Let's Talk Retouching podcast. 
thanks for being here, Stefan. It was a pleasure, Daniel. Yeah, it was really a pleasure. And thanks again for, for being on the show. You're welcome. We will put all the information, some images in the show description. Again, by the time this comes out, the toolkit will be available on raw.exchange. Yeah, again, thanks for being around. It's always a pleasure to hang out. Thank you for having me here. It's, this is really nice. Yeah, Mr. Raw Exchange, all the best for the Raw Exchange community from us. Pleasure to have you and see you soon. Okay, this was episode number 17. Thanks for sticking around for so long. I have to say I quite enjoy making these episodes for you and I hope you enjoy listening to them as well. So consider subscribing wherever you are listening to the podcast. But before I say goodbye, let me say running a podcast is kind of a one-way conversation we have here. But I want to encourage you to leave us a comment. So head over to boutiquerechurching.com and where we find the blog, you can leave us a comment and I would enjoy having a conversation with you there. But also as this is quite time intense to run the podcast, consider subscribing to the podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcast from. And I see you in the next episode. That's the perfect place for swinging parties and all that messy stuff. Well, I've got neighbors. Okay, so no swinger <laughs> parties. No swinger parties. Okay. Yoo-hoo. Just so you know, I had to mute myself for my... For the cat? Of course, the yeah. Cat here. yeah. I'm actually a little bit concerned because my cat isn't anywhere and the door is actually open. So. But maybe she has a date. Never mind. <laughs> um, no. Yoo-hoo. For me, it's I take a coffee break, but I call it a cat break. It's good that you're not living in Chinese or something. Where you have the cat break and says, boy... I'm a I'm a cat person, by the way. I love cats. Yoo-hoo. So yeah, we've talked about so many things already, and now to end this episode, what is your killer tip for someone who is trying to get into post production and retouching? What is your number one tip? Buy my tutorials, all of them. Yoo-hoo. See you.